piss off. <laughs> and but, here we go. Yeah, here oh. we go. <laughs> Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. 27. But now I see. We've used science to, to prolong life. November 2017. security and happiness. Twice a week, my therapist and I said... But it can also be used for discussion. Are we going to use it constructively? <laughs> It'll be up to you. And you too. Ah. Todd Workup and welcome back. Uh, yes, it feels like it's been a while. I don't think it's been too long, but it just nah, feels, it like, feels it's, like it's, probably, it's both been a minute. We've been doing things. Uh, and You know so, what? Calm down. We've been doing things. That's why there hasn't been a new things. podcast lately. Uh, so I went to punchlines.ai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, punchlines.ai, you type in the setup of a joke, and then the AI says... Okay, here's three possible punchlines. Okay. Okay, so so I tried a couple things and it was just fell flat. <laughs> so I'm like, let me let me dish out something help to me you, help on, a, you. On, a, on a silver platter. Okay, so <laughs> Joke AI. A programmer, a horse, and a fruit fly walk into a bar. Programmer, a horse, and a fruit fly. Walk into a bar. And the <laughs> here's the three punchlines. The bartender says, hey, that's not funny. <laughs> I thought it was... It's a grower. That's a, gr- that that's a grower. Um, a programmer, a horse, and a fr- fruit fly walk into a bar. You can imagine the rest. That's <laughs> well, it's dumb. Uh, and it was a real horse of a joke. Uh, was the third option, but the well, bartender that's said, "That's not a hey, saying of any kind." <laughs> Horse of a joke. The bartender said, "Hey, that's not funny." I th- I thought that is that pretty was, good. Okay, um, that is pretty good. My my mic still, my voice only still sounds so weird through these headphones. It's like a, it's like a doubling, like two audios playing at once, and I can't really? quite figure it out because I don't think I hear it on the on the. I on I the hear t- you very okay. clearly. Yeah, and, and it normally. seems to be working normally on the finished product so um, who knows it doesn't bother me that okay much. it's just it's just strange is all so for the last 48 hours until last evening we've had my nieces here at the house as a sleepover our first sleepover with them. oh so wow the, and their they, ages are what uh lucy is five years old okay and brie is nine years old okay and uh um, that can be kind of a tough split <laughs> it's a tough split I am really, really impressed at how well they get along and support each other. Oh, which that's is great. Really, really, like, uh, it's the same age difference between my husband Nick and his younger brother. Okay. And they were always at each other's throats and, and just right. terror uh, to each other. Uh, and Bree and Lucy are fantastic. And so um, I went to grab some things at the grocery store yesterday. It's weird to see an iPad without a cover on it. Like you never really see what the backs look like. (laughs) Guess that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And um, and so I went away for twenty minutes. Okay. At seven in the morning, when Fred Meyer opened uh, opened up, Nick was asleep when I left. Okay. The girls were 
uh, uh, wandering about, waking yeah. up. Doing, yeah. I'm going to go get some stuff for breakfast, add to the breakfast. And uh, and so I came back 25 minutes later. And here is the... <laughs> so notice the pug is howling. <laughs> Nick is sitting on the couch holding the tiny dog who is howling up a storm. One of the... We Older haven't... one is howling and jumping up and down. Oh, Nick is also playing the xylophone. <laughs> and then the other one was playing a piano. Wow. Yeah. That is great lighting for the oh, video, yeah. by the way. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> that is like comically what you picture in your head when you're picture taking care of kids. <laughs> so uh, Lucy, the little one, we have a pug puppy who is now three and a half months old. And uh, so she's still kind of puppy size, but, you know, kind of a bigger puppy size. She's like seven or eight pounds. Kind of, kind of. And Lucy just carries her around like a rag doll, just both arms under those front legs, under the front legs. And and the pug is just holding on for her life, (laughs) just a rag doll and uh, just hoping for the best. (laughs) Like a Uh, blasphemous (laughs) (laughs) crucifixion. Totally. Uh, and so this was that pretty much all we so did. Funny. But we did the aerial tram. We did oh Powell's fun. Books. We were just talking about the aerial. How much does it cost to go on? It's now eight dollars per person. It used oh to wow! Be four and that's a round round trip. Uh, I think so. We couldn't. <laughs> we used our tickets to go up, and then uh, three of the four of us lost our tickets <laughs> in the five minutes to go up to the top. <laughs> Uh, and so we had one other ticket that opened the gate back up. Yeah, so it is round trip, tip, round, round trip, trip because our ticket did open up, and we just all went through just the turnstile at once. They yeah. can't arrest all of us. <laughs> and handcuff uh, yourself we, to the inner rail. We so we did pay, and uh, and we had uh, a grand time. They they loved that. We also did Powell's books. Uh, the nine year old is a Fun. voracious reader. Oh, yeah, the what one a magical. Loved, yeah, so. All that thing. Um, and then we did Japanese food. And then we had a dance party here at the house in the backyard. And then the next day we went to the river. And uh, Jeez. then we went uh, to McDonald's. And then we went to the bins where we gathered a, a bunch of little toys. And then we went to, you know, the tiny libraries yeah. for books. They also make tiny libraries for toys. Oh, wow. And so we picked about six around town, uh, and we went to the Dino Exchange, the the Dinosaur Library. We went to four other uh, uh, toy exchange libraries, and then we went to the Wishing Tree. Have you ever heard of the Wishing Tree in Portland? Maybe. It's like 40 years. It's been the Wishing Tree for about 40 years. Oh, wow. It's been a tree longer than that. Uh, (laughs) And... um, so it's this tree in northwest up by like Fremont and MLK area okay. zone, and uh, and so just thousands. It's crazy. I used to live in that neighborhood in that yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too far from you know, kind of on the other side of MLK from where you were. Okay. And um, so you you write on a like a shipping tag with okay. a string on it. Uh, you write your wish and then you attach it to the tree. And so there's. Uh, I, I've got a, a that's really a, cool. A wow. So you were photo. busy and like as much as I love doing stuff like that and being with kids and stuff like that. I'm so oh wow. There's the wishing tree. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so 
the little one wants a new baby brother to which my sister said no and <laughs> no wish uh, for you and no wish for you and Bree said she wanted the sleepover to last forever and that also didn't get answered Aww. so uh, wishing tree is <laughs> over too tree. but very sweet <laughs> but yeah I am so I mean because I have such problems just sleeping getting to sleep in general and then waking up it two things kind of well there's a lot of things that continually fascinate me in my life the first being that Every every day when I get my new fresh Diet Coke, that it is as good as the last time. It's not like I'm chasing the dragon or whatever like that. I'm like, I keep expecting this to get old, and it just does not. Um, oh shit! No, I Do you ever read that book, Chasing the Dragon? Uh-uh. Uh, it was a it was, it was a book in the '80s about this uh, evangelical lady who went to like the brothels of of Hong Kong where there was lawlessness and, and everything. And she used uh, speaking in tongues to cure everybody from heroin addiction. Oh, wow. That's uh, handy. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Good times. Uh, but the other thing that never, that always surprises me is that every morning when I wake up, I am the most tired I've ever been in my life. <laughs> like I cannot move my body. I can like, I learned very quickly in college the, the first time I went, was that I would not allow myself to make any decisions in the morning hmm. before I got out of bed because else I would have just non. I'm like, but I've never been more tired in my life. Like I can't go today, so I had to make rules. I'm like, you're gonna get up whenever, and and so having having to wake up at six or seven every morning with that amount of energy and kids is something that I am <laughs> glad that I don't have to sustain in my life like i can do it for a week a, right. a week a month you right. know whatever right. it has to be but there needs to be an yeah, end in sight totally. and that's less than 18 years totally uh thankfully nick and i are on different schedules i'm the morning person he's the night person yeah and that works so good. that works out well in life for most things yeah except when like hey let's go out with friends in the nighttime i'm like that's not a thing like let's go to breakfast with them at 7 a.m and he's like there's a 7 a.m you know <laughs> there's sunrise walks at 4 45 a.m in july <laughs> yeah that doesn't happen in our family uh and so that helped a lot with kid management yeah, yeah. And, and all the things uh but uh, yeah uh, and you cool. just just arrived back from I the am epic f- adventure, freshly eroven from from western no eastern Idaho. So nice. this year, uh, every every summer, my family goes on a on a family <laughs> trip somewhere, um, and it's usually been in the Pacific Northwest because my whole family lived here until about four years ago. And my family moved when my brother and sister in law and their four gr- four girls um, moved to Minnesota. So now we have to find, that's why last year we did way out in Colorado. This year we did it in Eastern Idaho, just to try to make it the trip a little more, uh, a little better for them. But last, last Saturday, um, my niece got married. And yeah. so we all went to the wedding and then, um, they went off for a couple of days somewhere and then met us. We, in Monday we left for Eastern Idaho and and I'll stay in a town called Idaho Falls. I used to live in Idaho Falls. Yes. And so I was like, well, most of this I drove last year, you know, the 82, or 84, all of that stuff, which is just not a great, like, it's interesting to go through once to be like, wow, is this barren and lifeless? 
Um, and so I was like, my dad was like, oh, if you cut it, if you don't take the main highway, you can cut across Highway 20. And then there's a place called uh, Craters of the Moon. I was like, yes. all right, that's interesting. And it was roughly the same time anyway. Yep. It's just cutting straight across. So I did that. And it looks, I mean, a lot of the Pacific Northwest, even extending into eastern Idaho and Wyoming or Montana is next to that. Uh, Wyoming up uh, to the up. Uh, uh, yeah, Wyoming and Montana. Uh, Montana's up on top. On top. Okay, yeah. So all the way, I would say, until there is basically the same thing. Lots of sagebrush, but then there'll also be a beautiful, lush agriculture growing something or whatever. And so it was normal like that, an empty field, and you're kind of up against the mountain, and then you like you see a, a sign that says, you know, Craters of the Moon, 10 miles. And you're like, well, okay, whatever. And then you just come around the corner and as far as the eye can see, it like it almost looks wet, but it is just black lava rock. There's nothing living on it, and it does look like I mean, it is an old lava flow. Yeah. But it was so interesting because it was like we've seen. There's tons of lava flows in the Pacific Northwest, but right. they all kind of look like the mountain area around it, and it's just and and, and there's a lot of trees and fr- shrubbery and and things yeah. that grow because of the nutrient rich uh, earth that gets un veiled with the uh yeah the lava flow for some reason craters of the moon doesn't have any of that. no and it's just black and it like i kept thinking like did it rain here recently because there was a little bit of a like what Sheen. black rock looks like after you get wet it's like yeah. that deep and it's just it looks like a moonscape and yeah. it is wild and then you pass it and it's yeah. over and you're like what <laughs> yeah what? Yeah, so it's it's one of the nation's national parks. Uh, yeah, the, the craters. Fairly the new, two thousand. It was created uh, under. Yes. Yeah, uh, and so Craters of the Moon National Park is out there, and uh, when we went out there, uh, we we did a road trip, basically going in a circle around the state of Nevada. Okay. And so we went to up Idaho, and then yeah. uh, uh, Yellowstone, and then down Utah down into Arizona, California, and then wow. back up, right? And um, so we stopped at Craters of the Moon, and while we were there, they were doing uh, simulation testing with with astronauts, yeah. people. It, there was a, there was like a NASA trailer in a park in Whoa. Arco, <laughs> and they gave tours of it, and so we waited for like an hour to get on the next little tour because it was like three people per tour right and the trailer was like their home base and then out in the craters of the moon national park they had a vehicle with like three people in astronaut suits and they were communicating back and forth with the trailer but with the added technologic uh uh restriction of the time it takes light to travel from Mars to here, uh, which is their communication delay. And right. so it's 10 to 20 minutes long each way. So I would send a message, you know, depending on where Mars and Earth are in the orbits, it could be as long as 20 minutes one, okay. one, one way. And so I would say, hey, uh, we are just about to go outside the lamb into the field okay everything okay and then that would take 20 minutes to get to them and then 20 minutes later There's would be their screaming <laughs> no don't go yeah. why would you tell us that <laughs> uh say again <laughs> 20 minutes 20 minutes, 20 20 minutes, minutes back, back. 
<laughs> so uh, so they, they were ironing out the issues that happen in physicality, you know, where, right. where you have real people in real physical situations. And so this wasn't just office to office. This right. was like, well, I've got a rock here and I need to deal with this. What do I do for the next 40 minutes until I get word back? You right, know, right. Kind of stuff. And so uh, they wow, were doing that's a, super fascinating. Super and fast. yeah, you mentioned uh, Arco, which is just a tiny little population 67 you know yep. type and then when you come into their town there's a big sign you know first city lit first american city lit by uh atomic power yeah yeah and then you go through craters of the moon and then all of a sudden you see like um and on all these country roads you know there's all side roads that are just dirt whatever that go off to nowhere whatever and then there's like a nicer one with this like beautiful nice entrance and then like on all the fences it's like restricted area do not enter blah 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 and then you pass the big um energy company that's out there or whatever and yeah. i was like this sounds vaguely familiar i wonder if this is where mark learned how to drive a submarine <laughs> in eastern idaho exactly and so in eastern idaho is the what's now called the uh, Idaho National Laboratory, but it, it's or uh, it was at the time the INL, the uh, Idaho National Engineering Laboratory. I okay. don't know why they took the E away, uh, but um, I worked in INL while I was at school in the Navy for nuclear power. Okay. So uh, what the Navy did is in the fifties when they were getting ready to really deploy nuclear power on vessels they created prototypes for those vessels out in the middle of the desert and of idaho it's this huge valley that if there were an issue it would be the least impacted area of the nation right. basically right um and so they had the uh prototype for the nautilus was the first one there and then uh, then A1W was the one that I trained on, which was the number three engine room, three of four engine rooms uh, on the uh, USS Enterprise, CBN-65. Um, <clears throat> and so they recreated, well, they, they didn't recreate, they created the prototype for the engine room for the number three engine room of the USS Enterprise out in the middle of the desert with two nuclear reactors in it and and the only thing that those nuclear reactors do is produce electricity that then boils water and so they have so a, a huge vat of water about the size of our house with three big electrodes in it yeah. and the power just boils the water and then gives off steam because they needed some thing to absorb the electricity that was generated but because it was a training ground and and a prototype it would be up for 20 minutes and then down for an hour and then turned off overnight and then up for another sure. hour and down for six hours and up for eight hours and so they couldn't use it for like a city right uh or or anything and they probably should have had batteries that they whatever but <laughs> but uh this was the 50s and uh and then the third one was the narwhal uh which was a uh, a pretty uh revolutionary uh submarine and so we had the narwhal the Enter enterprise and the nautilus when i got there in 1991 uh, they had just closed down the Nautilus uh, like a year 
six months before. And uh, so there was just the two, the narwhal and the A1W. Okay. How long were you in the Navy? Somebody asked me that. I was in in for six years. Uh, Two of those were training. And then I got to the submarine right basically at my two-year point. And then I was on the submarine for four years. Uh, How much of that time of the four years were on the submarine? So I was stationed. uh, uh, I I would say like actively on the submarine underway. um, uh, A third of the time ish, you know, uh, but the stints that we had were like, kind of epic so uh we had one trip that was like 150 days long wow and uh but then we'd be in for six months okay uh, to you know and, and yeah and, yeah and things and so we had kind of one big trip a year and a bunch of little ones to prepare for it is kind of the sure. uh thing and then one big section of that time was in dry dock where they're refitting everything but we still had to work because it was a real live nuclear reactor in a dry dock situation. And so there's tubes of water coming in to cool things off and tubes of water coming out. And and we had a job called shutdown reactor operator, which is actually more uh, senior than a live reactor operator uh, because a shutdown reactor operator has... Um, it's like one person who's in charge of the entire reactor plant instead of underway. I'm one person of 18, 20 people right. who are actively servicing the thing. So right. I had to learn all 18 of those jobs to be shutdown reactor operator. Wow. And so, <clears throat> so being a shutdown reactor operator in dry dock is wacky. It's weird. And then they lose shore power and you have to do all the immediate, you know, Loss of shore power, rig shift reduced electrical, prepare to snorkel, you know, all, all the things. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was interesting wow. times uh, and uh, learned a lot. And then don't ask, so don't wild. tell kind of pushed me out of the Navy. Thank you. Oh, really? Is that <laughs> yeah. true? Yeah. Because uh, I, I was like, he must not have been there for that long because I know you're a little bit older than me, but I, yeah. we also started working together in 99. So right. it was like, the window is smaller, but I wasn't <laughs> so quite I got sure. A, I got out in 95. Uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was in in high regard at yeah. that point. And I was 25 and trying to figure out myself and my identity and and uh, religious uh, baggage that I had and deteng- yeah, and so there was a lot going on internally, and the Navy definitely was not supportive. If I came out or was found out to be gay, I would have been uh, discharged with uh, a less than honorable. It would have been a, an administrative discharge right. that okay. I couldn't have received benefits and and wow. things like that. So it's just like, you suck, get out. But you yep. do get lifelong benefits then, even for what's like the lowest amount of time you can spend in the military and get benefits. So it's <laughs> maybe this is the right su- path for me now. After all, <laughs> super complicated question and answer because uh, Congress makes it difficult for service members post post service to just get free services, and so uh, because I signed up. Right after I got out, I kind of locked it in. Okay. Uh, and so when you're 27, you're like, 
I'm going to get free medical insurance. And I'm like, who cares? You yeah. Know, like, uh, and so all of my compadres that I worked with, like, blew that off because, oh, I've got a job. And why would I need mil- military medical insurance? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, they're offering this for free. I think I'm going to take that up and lock it in. And and so the older, the the further distance you are from your service it's harder to get retroactively that yeah that makes a little bit of sense but still and so it was cheaper for them to say yeah you can be in as a 27 year old because one you're not going to need a lot of service and there's lower quantity of people and all the you know all the things so they make it easy when you're young and then uh, i took the benefit of signing up for that and so i get great service wow that's super fascinating yeah, so on the way there, I listened to uh, a really great audiobook. And if you're uh, a religious person, uh, it's especially good. It's by a guy named David Gushy. And he's like mm-hmm. the world's foremost Christian ethicist or something like that. He sounds like he's very well known in okay. whatever industry that might be. But it's called Changing Our Minds. And it's just oh. how do Christian, how do our churches now deal with. And so it gives, if you're here, then we can do this. If they're here, here. But he just lays out a really a really biblically based claim of the inclusion and, and the celebration of everyone in our churches. So that was really good. But then on the way back, and for some reason I only thought it was five hours, but it's not the biggest surprise of my trip is how good the Jessica Simpson autobiography is. Wow. <laughs> so I think I can't remember when to listen to it, um, but I listened to the Paris Hilton because I heard the same thing, you know, kind of people talking about it. I looked into it and the Paris Hilton one is really, really good. And then I heard Sarah Dillon from Fun Employment to say this Jessica Simpson one is surprisingly good. And it is. She's intelligent. She's well spoken. She's I've always loved her. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. She, and it just tells her whole story. And I thought it was like five hours long, but it's like 12. It's so, 11 hours and 22 minutes. Yeah. So like I just it's... kept driving and it was a 10 hour drive. And I'm like, <laughs> why is this never ending? But I was hoping that it wouldn't end because it's just really grounded and fascinating and real. And like I said, she's really into she runs a billion dollar company her jessica simpson clothing line is like one of the most successful that's ever been and but it's just really really interesting like i said well written and it's not afraid of um saying bad things about herself and being real about we love road trips and we love listening to great books on road trips and uh it's now on our list oh great Uh, yeah well it should be because i accidentally bought it with your (laughs) your amazon credit so you should already have it uh in your in your thing oh it says i it says i don't did you move it to i don't think so i still have a copy of it on my desktop though if you want it but yeah it's it's really i recommend that and I'm not a huge like I've I've listened to a couple celebrity autobiographies and usually I'm not super into them but the, this one and the Paris Hilton one like I totally highly recommend it and it's nice. great for summer because it's I mean they both deal with some some big issues um, but it's not like super overwhelming or anything nice. like that so yes look for the Jessica Simpson autobiography called uh, what is it called in her own words or something like that. Oh, open book. open book. Yeah. A memoir. And she has a great, let's see if I can find that. Music collaborators. John, Jonathan, Stephen, Allie, Annie, Ilse. Anyway. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit more about Arco in that little area out there oh, in yeah. Inel. Um, <clears throat> Arco was the first city to be powered by 
by nuclear power. And so they had a experimental reactor out there. There is a museum uh, that I think you said was closed yeah. when you went through. Fantastic museum. Uh, and I believe it's the site of e- EBR1. It's the Experimental Breeder Reactor Number 1. And uh, in in the parking lot, next to the parking lot, is this massive structure that just looks like a bunch of pipes or like you went to a power plant and like extracted a big section of it and if you read the the details about it it was the prototype for a nuclear powered airplane and yeah and so that's out there terrible idea (laughs) uh generally (laughs) quick quick boiling water (laughs) like okay we need a lot of lead and, (laughs) and heavy things and (laughs) <laughs> and you know if it falls then we uh you know will decimate uh you know detroit and here your flight suits made of mesothelioma <laughs> <laughs> and so uh that really never got off the ground but um the uh it, and that's why submarines and ships were such better choices <laughs> for military uh use of nuclear power uh, because of both shielding and cooling of, right. of water, uh, and so so that's there. They've got a control room. They've got uh, EBR one. They had uh, a breeder reactor is where they use <laughs> breeder breeder. I barely knew her. Uh, a breeder reactor is the the usage of the original fuel creates new types of fuel so it breeds into a baby fuel that's used for others so that's like how they make plutonium is by expended material all the things so interesting so uh that was there and then down the street from there uh the one literally the one street uh down the street and then make a left at inel uh is sl1 which was one of the first nuclear accidents and so uh basically it was uh in the 50s uh i think this happened in the 50s and and we can do a whole thing on sl1 if we want uh but basically the um the testing of the of the nuclear power plant that was there the the nuclear material that was there they have control rods that uh, lower into the fuel cells to stop nuclear fission from happening. And so when you take the rods out, fission happens. Well, they miscalculated. And uh, these were the times when the control rods were not controlled by uh, machines exactly remotely. They were controlled by humans up on the top, kind of pulling and pushing things up. And so um, it was only supposed to go like a fraction of an inch and they calculated like six inches <laughs> or something, right? And so they lifted it and um, he got impaled to the ceiling by the rod. Uh, and so he lifted it up, the reactor exploded. Uh, it went what we call prompt critical <laughs> and basically all of the water flashes to steam and it becomes a... a Death. bomb right. <laughs> and a pipe big pipe bomb and that control rod pinned him to the ceiling it took like a week to Jeez. the other people died and it was a it was a big incident but there's a video that they show at the nuclear training <laughs> center of like 
a, a documentary of that, uh, oh, like wow. a 10 minute documentary. And you see like, and then the fire department w- went in and you see like six firefighters going towards the door. And then they like measured uh, the reactivity of the radiation levels. And you see them all run away. <laughs> <laughs> and that was <laughs> like a really poignant moment in this documentary that we're watching in nuclear power school right. about the the thing that we literally pass on the bus <laughs> out to our training center every day. Uh, it was just, just surreal. So as, wow. uh, read about SL1. The, oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. What a way to go. <laughs> well, let's dig into some news. Mm-hmm. Uh, AAA pulls back from offering insurance in Florida. AAA too. Wow. Yeah, following farmer's insurance. Farmers. Uh, AAA will not renew the auto and home insurance policies for some customers in Florida, joining a growing list of insurers dialing back their presence in the Sunshine State uh, because of growing natural disasters. Unfortunately, Florida's insurance market has become challenging in recent years, said the company. Last year's catastrophic hurricane season contributed to an unprecedented rise in reinsurance rates, making it... I I wonder what that means. Oh. Oh, maybe someone losing their house and having to build a new one and then get more insurance. Yeah, yeah renewals okay. of your insurance. Okay, <clears throat> they just declined. They declined to say how many customers won't have policies uh, renewed, saying that only the change will only affect quote a small percentage. But the company is the fourth insurer over the last year to say it's backing away from insurance insuring Floridians. A sign extreme weather linked to climate change is destabilizing the insurance market. Farmers Insurance says will no longer offer coverage in the state, blah, blah, blah. Uh, AIG, Allstate, and State Farm, uh, oh, have done that in California, have stopped taking new customers, saying that wildfires are driving up the cost of underwriting policies. So good thing we're not doing anything to stop this. And I feel like scientists right now are screaming, uh, and they have been for a long time, but even more so, and being ignored even louder. So good luck with the future, kids. Uh. Um, well, Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts lawmaker, uh, lawmakers are weighing a near total ban on buying and selling of location data. Do you want to read that? Yeah, the Location Shield Act, or the LSA, is a sweeping proposal that would sharply curtail the practice of collecting and selling location data. The proposal would also institute a warrant requirement for lost law enforcement access to location data banning data brokers from providing location information about state residents without court authorization in most circumstances. Ten states have enacted privacy laws in recent years under both Republican and democratically controlled legislatures. Several bipartisan proposals are under consideration in Congress but have failed to gain traction. I guess I have a... That's not it. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is important. And um, as as Black Mirror teaches us, <laughs> uh, our you know that location data informs more than just did I lose my keys or not. Like it shows where you shop and where you dine and where you how you walk through those you, places. Right. <laughs> totally. Uh, did you know the average Starbucks, which is not much bigger than this room, has 16 sensors in it that look down? Yeah, you know, basically they are are Mapping. watching all of your Bluetooth p- 
pings that are coming out of your phone and they map the flow of consumers through the restaurant to make sure that queuing is as smooth as possible and that uh, visitors have the greatest chance of buying things. Uh, and so the, well, I know like uh, retailers like target and stuff like that will, will do that same thing to yep, see how same, yep. traffic flows yep. through their, <laughs> the, the quantity in a, in a single Starbucks is like, that's crazy. What? That. Ugh. So imagine the target sensors, you know, uh, all the things. Yep. Wow. Well, Sarah Silverman sues Meta and OpenAI for copyright infringement. I think this is kind of an interesting idea for allegedly using their content uh, without permission to train artificial intelligence language models. Silverman alleges Meta and OpenAI used their books um, without authorization to develop their so-called large language models. The lawsuit against OpenAI alleges that summaries of the plaintiff's work generated by (laughs) ChatGPT... How you doing over there? <laughs> it's apparently my brain is still on vacation. It's an Arco. <laughs> my brain is not being powered by nuclear <laughs> energy right now. Uh, the lawsuit against OpenAI alleges that su- that summaries of the plaintiff's work generated by ChatGPT in- indicate the bot was trained on their copyrighted content. So they must have just asked, what is Silver- Sarah Silverman's book about or whatever? And it was able to answer. Uh, speaks unspecified money damages on behalf of nation a nationwide class of copyright owners whose works were allegedly infringed, which is kind of a cool idea. It's kind of a class action lawsuit for people's work who is being gobbled up by by that stuff. So, well, the, in stories just like the Corpse Flower, how we're told it's happening and not happening and never happening, a, propose, a proposal by Willamette Falls Trust would reopen access to the West's largest waterfall. Now, this is not one of the many stories we read over the past years. This was in two different newspapers this week. So it doesn't sound like anything has changed. So Willamette Falls in West Lynn is the continent's second largest waterfall by volume, only surpassed by Niagara Falls. The Willamette Falls Trust uh, PGE has signed an agreement. Maybe they just have signed it. Agreement enabling the trust to assess a portion of the property on the island of the west side of the Willamette Falls, approximately forty million dollars, forty million with an M in public and private dollars, have been earmarked to restore meaningful public access to the Willamette Falls. The current plan, if the project moves ahead, is to include public walkways, spaces for inter. I mean, we've seen visual representations of what this is supposed to be, and they're acting like it's brand new. The project is still in the early stages, you don't say, but the trust hopes to have public access portion within five years, we say, three years into this story. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you want <clears throat> to... Yeah. The dream that you had dream as a... dream that I had as a boy. Oregon boy, nine years old, discovers remarkable ancient find in grandmother's yard. Here in Winston, the nine-year-old had uh, had gotten to his grandmother's house in a far west area of Winston near Tenile and started his afternoon playing in the backyard. After receiving, after retrieving the object, which was dark brown, the size of two fists and featuring dis, <laughs> distinctive way to... grooves running through the quote-unquote rock, he bought, brought it inside to his mother, Megan Johnson. 
He brought it up here, and I thought it was just a piece of petrified wood or something, Johnson said. Then I got to looking at it, and it just looked odd. After reaching out to archaeologists and anthropologists across the state, Johnson finally found her answer after being referred to the Museum of Natural and Cultural History in Eugene, Oregon. Jeremiah had just found a fragment of a tooth from a mammoth. Wow. Mammoths went extinct in Oregon approximately 10,000 years ago, and their teeth can be identified through their signature banded appearance, which come from the enamel interspersed with dentin. Wow. Wow. Finding a tooth. That's pretty cool. Cool. Well, let me see here if He's I... got a good show and tell item for school. <laughs> totally, totally. Right now in grandma's a house. Quick look for something here. Hold on. She, this was her pet. <laughs> I don't think I have it. In, oh, yeah. So I am going to go back to our popular segment uh, that only our podcast has, and that is called Just the Headlines. Nice. Uh, the city of Portland to rename O'Brien Square after the late drag queen Darcel. So I don't know That's where O'Brien Square is. It is. Uh, it's right in the middle of Vaseline Alley, as the gays would say. So, uh, so um, I'm happy to know. I don't don't know where <laughs> don't. that is. So, um, so tell me specifically where that is, so I can put it into ways. <laughs> So um, there's that little one-way street uh, just uh, just off Burnside, just west of Powell's in that it's a bunch of restaurants and everything. And that used to be where Silverado's was and all the gay bars and all the all the like everything. And then most of the gay bars like dispersed throughout the city. And Portland doesn't really have like many uh metropolises do a specific gay right. area like capitol hill in seattle or or uh, the castro in san francisco or whatever your address is whatever my address is uh and so that's why the pie keeps moving around <laughs> because you keep moving. i keep moving come this way and uh and so th there's that that strip uh, right there and the park is right there in the middle of it um, okay and yeah it, interesting right i always there. thought there should be a specified app for our state called organ grinder <laughs> anyway. uh okay back to our uh segment just the headlines native american tribes demand ben and jerry's return its land after fourth of july message uh, U.S. podcast misinformation, this specifically for our <laughs> heads up for us, U.S. podcast misinformation goes largely unchecked. Thankfully. <laughs> yes, about 70% of the U.S. most popular podcasts have shared at least one claim <laughs> debunked by fact checkers. They would get very tired with our show. I <laughs> incidentally, that, uh, that headline we just made up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sacramento Sheriff is sharing license plate reader data with anti-abortion states. Record show. Um, oh, yeah. That is the end of our reader data with anti-abortion. Yes. Yeah, uh, Sacramento Sheriff. Okay, Sacramento, is sharing, California. Yeah, is sharing license plate reader data with anti-abortion states, and uh, that's been found in a couple uh, uh, other law enforcement plates uh, places too. Of the sharing, speaking of sharing of location and other types of information, so 
Well, that wraps up our truly unique segment, Just the Headlines. Much to the confusion of you, why I keep making such a big deal out of our one and only segment, Just the Headlines. Um, well, this scrubbed out all the pictures, so it might be worth it up, but a giant troll sculptures are coming to Portland and five other secret locations, all of which are listed in this article <laughs> so secret. in the Pacific Northwest. This summer, a six sculpture exhibition called Northwest Trolls Way of the Bird King will place giant Nordic troll characters in natural landscapes across the Pacific Northwest. Five of the sculptures will be constructed in locations in the Puget Sound, but one will land near Portland. 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 The trolls, ranging from height of about 12 to 20 feet, are the creation of Danish artist and environmentalist Thomas Dombo. He construction with volunteer help using recycled materials, namely old wooden pallets. As whimsical trolls appear in forests, alongside streams and rivers, and in other areas, he's created about 100 troll sculptures around the world, but this will be the first in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and it will be the first of the series will begin this summer. The construction will begin this summer in the natural wetlands supra- surrounding the campus of the nonprofit Nordic Northwest at 8800 Southwest Olison, not far from far from Washington Square. Ooh, that'll be in not my neighborhood, but I do go over there every once in a while. The Portland Troll won't be visible from the street and visitors will need to travel down a gravel path to find it. The other trolls will be placed in Issaquah, Ballard, West Seattle, and on the Bainbridge and Vishon Islands, though their exact locations won't be revealed. Instead, troll hunters will be encouraged to use a geotagging app to discover them in the wild like a scavenger hunt. So they are pretty neat, like giant, yeah, 12 to 20 foot sculptures of kind of a, a human troll giant thing um and that sounds neat that's totally cool yeah i'll try to use one maybe for a for a show image this time oregon could be the oldest site of human occupation in north america the university of oregon find indicates a prehistoric stone tool unearthed by educators and students of the University of Oregon's Archaeological Field School suggests that people were living in Oregon 18,000 years ago. That's far earlier than Christians say the Earth <laughs> is old. Uh, this far earlier than scholars previously thought, and more than 1,000 years before the Clovis culture once seen as the oldest in the Americas. Wow. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm going to go to the bathroom while you read this next story. Okay. <laughs> I've already read it, so I don't even, <laughs> no, I'll be right. Bye. Uh, so misunderstood rattlesnakes have a tender side, study finds. And Rich McKay says the research showed that the snakes seem to gain a sense of well-being when they wriggle and sort wriggle into sort of a group hug with other rattlers, according to the study published this week, the journal uh, this week in the Journal of Frontiers in Ethnology, the finding, <clears throat> excuse me, the findings challenge the notion that reptiles are solitary hunters and display little in the way of complex social behaviors. Anthology, the study of animal behaviors, has long been recognized that birds and mammals, including humans find comfort from being physically close to their own kind. Such such proximity tends to make reptiles more relaxed, lowers their heart rates, and reduces stress. Not much different from people, Hayes says. You made me anxious by leaving me alone. (laughs) Unfortunately for rattlesnakes and other lower 
vertebrates and invertebrates, we seldom give them that credit, Hayes says. People are eager to, eager to just chop their heads off, Hayes <laughs> said, adding that the animals are sentient, capable of emotions. His emotional snake said. <laughs> Hayes said he usually puts a cap, captured snake in a bucket and carries it safely into the wild with the creature typically rattling furiously all the way. But he said he noticed that when two or more snakes were in a bucket, the rattling tended to ease. It tells us that when there's another snake, it reduces their stress response. It has never been reported in reptiles before. It's something that humans do. There we go. So go hug a rattlesnake go. today and they'll stop rattling because they just need <laughs> they, they just need to be they loved. Just need, <laughs> they're just misunderstood. Exactly. Um, so in the spirit of traveling around, which uh, I just got finished doing, I uh, I came home and I was looking through. I was like, oh, I should think of something to do for tomorrow. And one of the first things that I had, one of my 58 open tabs on my on my browser right now, is the story of Johnny Appleseed, which oh, is something nice. that I've always heard around here. Uh, my ex-wife was um, a huge fan. Her dad was an apple farmer and... Uh, so right when, right after we got married, I think my mom found a um, a start of an original Johnny Appleseed tree because they still sell really? the starts of it off of some of the tree. Uh, there's one that we all know of that is still alive and, and can be dated back to then. Huh. And so I was going to bring it home, but I had to go to work first and I just left it in a car with all the windows rolled up. <laughs> Perfect. Like apple trees love. <laughs> to be trapped in a hot car all day long in the Yakima Valley. <laughs> as long as you got a couple of rattlesnakes in there with them. Yeah. <laughs> I think it all hug each other. Uh, so, yeah, that did not end well. But and so it's one of those things. Well, is this a Paul Bunyan story? Is this just, you know, a right. made up thing? We tell children Disney made a, a, a film in the in the 40s that um, had some songs with it. I've got a couple old records of the Johnny Appleseed. And so I was like, well, what? What about what about this is true? What 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 pile of garbage have we been fed? But Johnny Appleseed was a real person. His real name was John Chapman. He was born in Massachusetts in 1774. He uh, was part of a family of 11 kids um, and he was restless, not liking uh, a family that big. So he convinced his nine year old brother to go to Ohio. Uh, and so they went out to Ohio for a little bit. The little brother went home. Um, but John stayed out there. Um, he This was right at the time when America was expanding the West. We had just made the Louisiana Purchase and added all this new stuff. And the government said, if you go out into the West and plan on a permanent homestead or farmstead, we will give you 100 acres of land. So much like how white people always work for things, we were just given somebody else's free land uh, to start our own home. And the way one of the ways that they um, decided is this person really going to be staying here for the long haul is if you have 50 trees by the end of three years, like crop trees by the end of the year, that shows that you're planning on staying here for a while. Yep. So Johnny... Uh, sets out for the for the west or uh, towards the west with a giant bag of seeds that he got from a cider mill and he would go to a piece of land he would start an orchard he'd plant the seeds in a row claim that land 
and he was always before everyone else. So then he would sell this established farm with trees already in it to people that were coming to live there. He was he was uh, this weird sect of Christianity that I've never heard of, but he was very he was a a, a vegetarian. He loved nature he lived outside he lived basically in in a potato sack and no shoes and no anything that's how he wanted to live and he he would be offered clothes but he would let the the people keep their best stuff and just take their cast off so he would wear some of those but he would sleep outside and he he would build one of the one of the stories of lore that I don't know is true is to kind of show his ruggedness, how his feet were very callous, which makes sense if he wasn't wearing shoes. But one time he was building a fire and he noticed that some of the mosquitoes were going into the fire and getting burned up. And so he vowed never to like he moved it to an area with no mosquitoes so that nothing would be harmed. And and uh, he would he had built a fire once in an, in an old log, but noticed that there was bears living nearby and getting smoked out so he would move his like all of these big movements to to honor nature around him but um the way we think of apples now is obviously as as a snack food and as something that we eat but at this time apples weren't good they were gross and what they they would call them spit and fair you would bite bite into it and i think even ralph waldo emerson was like not even squirrels are going to eat this garbage it's like so bad and what i didn't know the thing about apple trees is they shuffle their dna every generation so that bugs won't be able to oh. and each tree is in a different state of that so like bugs take out one tree the other tree is not going to be affected by it huh but that means when you're planting apples by seed, not only do you not know what you're going to get, most of it's going to be just like completely inedible. And so in Europe, they started uh, tree grafting, which is fascinating. And one one day when I get rich, I want a tree that um, one of my mom and dad's friends in, in the Yakima Valley have a uh, a citrus tree with like three different kinds of citrus grafted onto it. So if if you don't know what grafting is, if you take, uh, say, an apple tree like we're talking about here, uh, as it's growing, you um, take a different type of apple tree. So like if you have a Granny Smith tree and you snip off a red delicious branch and you graft it, which means you kind of peel away the bark and a little bit of the original tree and you saran wrap that new start, that new bud to the end of that, that new bud will grow into a branch that produces the apples of the donor thing. And so he has like, it's a tree that grows like lemons, oranges and grapefruits. And I'm like, that is so magical to me. That's so cool. But John, uh, Johnny Appleseed, as we come to know, didn't like doing that because he thought it hurt the trees. And so, and in America, people like it was not a food people were eating anyway. So it's like, why are we bothering to do this? Most of the people, used it for cider because it's when you are in a new place that doesn't have water it is the eight 1700s most people drank 20 ounces of cider a day and hmm. or, or 10 ounces and like the normal american now will have 20 20 ounces of water a day and so it's it was a huge you just set the apple juice out wait right. a couple of weeks and magically it's <laughs> magically it's cider um, so he would move around from area to area and uh, he would get all the seeds for free from the uh, cider mills and he would sell each sapling for 6.5 cents. And there were just thousands and thousands and thousands of them. 
he wasn't super interested. He did have people who paid him, but if they were like, Oh, we can't do it. He's like, huh, whatever. And like lots of his property just like went missing because he didn't keep very good books or anything like that. <laughs> um, so let's see. Do to do to do. I lost my place. Do we know any specific, are, are there any, um, places that exist currently we're like oh this is so most of his so um so he's going around he's he's collecting a a huge amount of land that he just eventually leaves to his sister after he dies because he would just go around and he would show up people's how devout a devout uh, follower of this like branch of i think it's from Sweden, a branch of, of, of kind of metaphysical Christianity, earth, all that stuff. And, and, um, so people liked having him over because I mean, basically it's like having a newspaper, you know, it's going around everywhere, but he would often get kicked out because he would just talk too much about religion and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, he's planting all of these and mostly used for cider, until the 1800s when prohibition started taking over. Ah. And so apples were demonized and in many places you couldn't plant them because that's what you made liquor out of. And so until prohibition rebranded apple, well, first we had to start making apples that were edible. So they started, they started doing that and that's where we get granny Smith and red delicious. And some of those main stock that we think of as apples, they rebranded apples as this healthy snack that, and like what we all know it today, we have little songs and apple apples day. are like apple a day. And apple is, I remember in sixth grade when we were taking like a dental hygiene, you know, section, it was an, uh, eating apples, just like brushing your teeth because there's something in it mm-hmm. that really does clean your teeth off or whatever. Um, but that's why we now think of apples as food instead of the thing you make cider from because oh, you can't eat it at all. Um, so he gets older, he wanders all around um, wearing his rags and there's always the popular conception that he's wearing a, a pot on his head, like a, right. which they say is probably not true because it would have made it been made of like iron or copper, which <laughs> would have been like super heavy to just wear on. So it's either made of tin or, he just made something goofy, but everyone would be like, this is the weirdest person we've ever seen because he's wearing a burlap sack, a, you know, some sort of pot on his head, and he has no shoes. And he's just wandering around with his, his seeds. He was a vegetarian, so he never ate. He just always foraged all his stuff. Um, so that was kind of interesting. So he, uh, he was rarely sick, too, from, from what I've been able to find until he got... Um, uh, pneumonia when he was 80 and went to went to sleep one night and just didn't wake up the next day so he's got a gravestone somewhere now i've lost where that is but um indeed he was a a real a real person and he did spread apples albeit mostly for cider all around uh the midwest so i thought it was interesting that there are mostly true elements to that thing that um that thing that we know but yeah it was talking about apples in one little apple thing, there would be some that tasted like pears, some that tasted like lemons, some like nuts, and some that were spicy. So, like, there's all of just because of this reshuffling of their genes, every generation, a spitter is what they would call it when it would just Ugh. taste terrible. Right. And so, in scientific verm, this variability is called heterozygosity. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> 
So now all the apples we eat are clones, basically, yeah. because we graft and so that we know we're getting that same apple each time. Else your orchard with GMOs. Yeah. Yeah. It was the era started in the 16 and 1700s by tree grafting. So anyway, I thought that was nice. a fun little interesting that's, story that's really that, uh, that went well with my travels. So enjoy those Johnny Appleseed facts. Let me see if I'm missing anything. Oh, he never married, never had any kids. He thought he would be married in the afterlife and was building one of those that was building the better existence for next time. But I think probably coming from a family of 11 and enjoying an existence of just wandering around by yourself wearing a burlap sack, perhaps you were not marriage material, I guess. Um, but yeah, there are, he left an estate of over 1,200 acres that they could they could kind of track down uh, most of that being kind of in Ohio and those those states, um, and then just kind of had songs and poems written about him, and then more and more, especially as we change the apple to what it is now. 1948 is when Disney put out the Legend of Johnny Appleseed, which is where we always hear that music from. Um, and if you're going to Fort Wayne, Indiana, there is a Johnny Appleseed Festival. So well, fun. You can also buy your own little graft branch from a Johnny Appleseed seed and keep it in the back of your car on a hot <laughs> summer day with the windows rolled up. <laughs> to have a terrible apple. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> to have a spitter. It's a spitter. So anyway. Nice. That's, there is that's that. a lot of fun. Oh, and this just 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 coming in off the presses for for authorities have closed the beach at Haystack Rock because there was a cougar on it. So what? <laughs> <laughs> Look out for that. The adult uh, cougar is still on Haystack Rock. I repeat, the police have confirmed that the adult cougar is still on Haystack Rock. But um, authorities have shut down that stretch of beach. So, And she, she's like, I thought we were filming the next Sex in the City episode. <laughs> no? No. Sarah Jessa Parker, get down from there. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, anything else that we want to? I don't think so. Talk about back in the flow and uh, doing the things. Good, good. Mid summer, it's been hot, and uh, it has. It looks like it should be fairly nice this week. Nice. But so. good, good. So. Well, let's go out with hearing the old Disney song, Johnny Appleseed, and I'll play just a little bit of it so that I don't get. S oh, I have this record. We'll do this version. good to me and so i thank the lord for giving me the things i need the sun and rain and an apple seed yes he's been good to me nice nice goodbye bye but he's gay i mean he's gay excuse me he's blind vaseline alley <laughs>